Welcome to the Peppered Podcast, where food and beverage marketing professionals get seasoned talk on how to grow and manage their brands. Hey everyone, this is Jamie Alibach coming at you on the Peppered Podcast. My guest on the show today is Jim Lowe. Jim is the Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Schumann Cheese. He's also worked at Enjoy Life Foods, a popular better-for-you snack brand, and global food giant Mondelez, where he worked on Ritz crackers, Wheat Thins, and Trident Gum brands. Jim's got a wealth of experience uh, in brand and marketing and product in- innovation, and I'm, I'm super excited to have him on the show today. Jim, welcome to the Pepper Podcast. Jamie, thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have. I, I, I really appreciate a lot of your insights. I mean, we met uh, we met on LinkedIn, and 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 one of the things I, I really appreciate about you is you 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 put a lot of thought and you put a lot of insight into into your response. You just don't post you know garbage when you respond to something. You really are <laughs> are, are insightful about, it. and that's one of the things that, that that drew me to you and said, you know what, I think Jim would be a great interview for this show. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I just want to make sure I'm doing the best I can to add value to people who read my posts, and I really appreciate it when people engage, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, and you get a great amount of engagement. So, hey, before we jump into Schumann Cheese right away, why don't you give my listening audience a little bit of background on yourself uh, as far as your marketing and brand experience and the various things that that, that you brought to the table, because you've been in the business a while and you got a lot of great experience and insights, and I know there's some. So you've, you've had a journey, as we all have had in this business. Absolutely, I have had a journey. I officially started in brand marketing at Nabisco about 15 years ago, and I've worked on a lot of brands and, and projects since. And you mentioned a bunch of them at the at the top, but where I really started marketing was as a social worker and a political aide. Believe it or not, um, those experience. It taught me how to see a story from very different points of view, and it forced me how it forced me to figure out how I'm going to make a problem that seems really complex simple. Those two roles also fed my desire to make a difference in my work. I mean, you don't go into social work and generally in politics unless you want to have an impact. So when I came time to decide to switch careers and head into business, marketing made the most sense to me because it's the heart of any consumer-driven business, and it's where the whole reason for the business is created and nurtured, both for audiences inside the organization and for, obviously, the people who are outside. Yeah, I mean, you know, understanding people, I, I think, is, is, is one of the most overlooked uh, things in, in our business. So many people get, get stuck on analytics and tactics and strategies and things like that, and when I find you know, is really at the core of branding and marketing is understanding people and being able to connect with people. So I can see how, you know, that background would have naturally led you into a business like this. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I'm, I just feel so fortunate to have had those experiences, because it did bring me into contact with such an enormous range of people, where I didn't have a lot of time to, you know, to study or to research, I had to figure out how to build a connection with them quickly um, so I could understand what they needed and what they wanted and do the best I can to respond to that. And I just can't think of a better training for marketing than having to do that every single day. Yeah, especially in this day and age of, of social media and really having to connect with people online. And I find, I find brands, honestly, I find brands just 
more brands than not miss that that relational piece, and they're constantly just trying to push content out there, you know, pictures of their products. Hey, here's this showing this, and and they miss that 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 intertwining, that connecting with people. And I I, I tell people this all the time that 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 people relate to people, even in business. People do business with people that they like. If you can't make that people connection with your brand, you're never going to sell more stuff. Absolutely true. It's key to brand building is building a persona that people want to be associated with. Um, And it has to run through everything you do from product to the way you talk to the way you organize and the way you conduct your business. Absolutely. So, hey, let's jump into Schumann cheese. Um, Look, quite frankly, when I first heard of Schumann, I mean, I, I didn't realize what a significant player they were. I mean, you guys are a big, big cheese company. And and you're and you're one of the key key players. So tell me a little bit about about the company itself. Yeah, sure thing. Well, Schumann Cheese is a 75 year old company that's still operating as a startup, and that can seem hard to believe, and it sounds like spin, but it's true for Schumann. And the reason is because of its structure. It's a family owned company, and the family is passionate about finding new and innovative ways to share their love of cheese with their customers who are both businesses and consumers. So we have both B2B and B2C markets. It got its start 75 years ago after World War II, importing Italian hard cheeses like Parmigiano-Reggiano. And that's still a really big part of the business today. In fact, Schumann is the largest single importer of Reggiano in the U.S. But the passion for cheese and great cheese was bigger than just importing. So they began to partner over time with companies that were producing great cheese around the world. And that has to do with an understanding of, of the, the raw material that goes into cheese, which is milk. So they're always looking for great quality milk that's at a good price. So they went literally around the world, uh, partnering with other com- companies to make great cheese, and ultimately began to make its own award-winning cheese at our creamery in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin. Um, in terms of innovation, the company's been pretty passionate about it. It was the first company to bring Roquefort Blue into the U.S., which is everywhere now. The first to use cryovac packaging for cheese, which extended shelf life and made the cheese available to more people. And then a few years ago, we introduced what's now the market leader for Cheese Crisp, which is our Whisk snack brand. And we did all of this. The family did all of this in service to the mission, which is to elevate everyday eating experiences with the highest quality cheese. And I think that the company has the freedom to do that in really innovative ways because of its ownership structure. It gives it the freedom to innovate and the freedom to pursue new businesses without the short-term pressures that affect so many other companies. Did I read right that they're a, a fourth generation? Yeah, it's a very unusual thing, Jamie. The, the, the third generation is Neil Schumann, who's the owner and the president of the company. And his, his kids, the fourth generation, all work in the business. Um, the fact that you have four generations plus 100% family-controlled is an incredibly unusual thing. Uh, it's it's less than one or two percent of all family-owned businesses in the U.S. can boast four generations and independence um, the way that that Schumann can. So there's you know they really have a secret sauce over here. Yeah, and hey, family family businesses are a different animal too, especially when you get to multi multi generational. I mean, it's a it's it's a you you know you're dealing with the people really. I mean, the the company and the brand is more than just a product. I mean, it's a legacy with, with companies like this, isn't that right? 
<laughs> That's absolutely right. And it has, it has, um, you know, it has two things going on. The first is, you know, most companies think about reputation, but you're right. Companies that are family owned think about legacy. Um, so there's a, you have to really invest the time in understanding what that legacy means to the family members, both, you know, the, the, the youngest and the next youngest generation. But the other real positive about having a sense of legacy is it means there's a sense of building for the long term. And that goes to the comment I made around the short-term pressures that other companies face. You have a generational timeline here, a family timeline, not a quarterly timeline. And that makes a big difference in how you think about the business. Um, it, it should never be mistaken for a lack of urgency or a drive because you don't get to four generations of a business unless you have really passionate um, and energetic drive. But it does mean that you you take a longer view and you're more patient about uh, pursuing opportunities and letting them come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, my experience, I mean, I come from a, an area <clears throat> Outside of Philadelphia, where there's just a ton of ton of history. I mean, my family goes back to the early 1700s, so there's a ton of family businesses in the area. And I tell you, the the work ethic, um, the the philanthropy, the generosity, uh, just how they approach business. I mean, I have found that that these multi generational family owned businesses, they're just cut from a different cloth. I mean, they, they really are. And it's, and it's a privilege to work for them. And I love, I love the, you know, the layers within the business and the different people and how, how they approach it. So that's, I mean, kudos, kudos to you guys. I mean, four generations is, is super impressive. Yeah. It's a very, a very impressive family and it's, I'm very fortunate to be able to work with them. Yeah. So back on the cheese, um, yes. you know, cheese, you know, like, like, like any other CPG brands, I mean, there's, there's multiple, levels of, of cheese, right? You have different types of buyers. You've got commodity cheeses that are often found over in the dairy section um, of supermarkets. You've got more quality cheeses that are often found in the deli section. And then, of course, you've got, you know, specialty stores, which are just, you know, at a higher level altogether. But I think, you know, innovation is not super common in this category, uh, but, but one of the things that I was, again, attracted to you about was you recently introduced this this cello brand of cheese, uh, which seems to be very distinctive in, in the cheese character, in the cheese category on a number of levels, which which we'll talk about. But but describe the cello brand um, a little bit to me. Sure. So, Jamie, I'm so excited about cello for a couple of reasons. Um, we the reason is because we took the time to really understand why people love specialty cheese. And that's, if you pardon the pun, that's the slice of the market that we play in. We spent hours and hours talking to cheese lovers, visiting them in their home, going to the store with them, and asking them what they were doing online. So what did we find? The first thing is we found that, that cheese lovers go to the specialty case because they're looking for a way to express themselves creatively. They love specialty cheese because it's a tool for them to express culinary creativity by giving a dish or a cheese board just a splash of something extra that's something unusual by using just the right cheese. So that was the first thing. The second thing is we learned that that creative expression extends to understanding something about the cheese that may not be obvious if you're just looking at shelf. Um, so they love to broaden the experience of eating by adding story to it telling people about where the cheese comes from, its history, who made it, the people, the location, all of that. 
So when it came time to position and package the brand, we took that broad understanding of creative expression and we put positioning and packaging around it in a way that we think signals the high quality experience you're going to get every time you enjoy cello cheese. And I think you'll agree that when you see the brand in store or you see the marketing support, you'll recognize cello as being something different from other cheeses because we understand something special about the people who are buying it. Uh, and that's what we think. That's what I think makes cello special and why I'm so excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, and as a creative guy, I love the music theme. What what was your inspiration behind this? Because you you really carried that not just not just in the name, obviously the name, but but you've taken that kind of music theme and in your weaving it into your creativity. But what what kind of drove you overall to that to that music? Did that did that play into the naming of it, and then just kind of play itself out, or did you guys come up with the name cello? Hey, that's a cool name, and then build the music out from there? Where, how, how did the whole thing kind of come about with the name and then playing up that, that, that creative, artistic music theme? Sure. Well, I, I got to come clean with you, Jamie. Um, the name Cello existed when I arrived at Schumann about two years ago. So two years ago, this brand um, existed, like I say, more as a name than as a brand. It didn't have a, it didn't have a really uh, clearly defined positioning and didn't have uh, strong marketing support for it. So being the really brilliant marketer that I am, I looked at the at the name and said, cello, isn't that a musical instrument? Um, <laughs> hey, so, wait a minute. We might yeah, have something here. <laughs> how about that? So with that really keen insight, um, I realized that um, we had a language to talk to people who are hungry for creative expression because music is the universal language, especially for creativity. Uh, and the, the great thing is, in addition to tying into that, that consumer need that cheese lovers, cheese lovers were telling us about, it gives us a great way to actually talk about the product itself. Because, I mean, look, everyone claims to have the best cheese, just like in most categories, you're always looking for the thing that puts you on the top. But in music, it's really tough to claim to be the best. There's just so much variety and too much good in all types of music. What you need to do if you're a musician is be the best you can be within your genre, and there are millions of genres. Yeah. So we're trying to do the same thing with our cheese variety. Every package of cello tells cheese lovers that we're tuned to perfection. We wrote that right on the package because just like tuned to perfection means something really different for a guitar versus a trumpet, each of our cheeses is wonderful in its own unique way. And we think the music metaphor works really well for us because our cheeses are a unique take on classics that people are familiar with. So it gives us a way of, of saying you're going to get something that's familiar, but it's tuned to perfection. It's in a, a way that you have not experienced before. So that, that's, that's the insight. Like I said, my brilliant insight around recognizing <laughs> that cello is an instrument and there's a huge opportunity for us to use music as a way to communicate. Hey, I... I... I love it because I look at when I look at branding and I look at advertising and creativity, you know, one of one of the things that I look at is okay, you know, is this a one-time piece that can 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 be can be a one, you know, one trick pony or does this have the legs to keep going and, you know, can it can it go out from multiple, you know, multiple prongs eventually? And and when I look at a theme like this, when I look at a brand like this and especially the music theme, 
There's so many different ways you can go with this and continue to go and freshen it up as you get product extensions. It's just a, it's a great brand platform. And, and, and when I saw it and really kind of dug into to, to, you know, researching it and trying to understand it and talking to you a little bit more about it, I mean, it's just, there, there, there's a lot to it. And I mean, and like you said, you can reach people on so many different levels when it comes to music. I mean, you got, there's a sophisticated aspect to it. You know, there's a, you know, this craftsmanship aspect to it. There's different types of instruments. So, I mean, it really, it really plays out well. And I, and I commend you on it. It's a, it's a super cool brand and it's a, and it's a cool theme to move forward with. I'll be excited to see what you guys, you know, continue to come up with in, in that, in that space. Yeah. Thank you so much. We, we agree with you that using music just gives us so much opportunity to get it right for the brand without hemming in and creating, like you say, a one-trick pony. Yep. So it's it's going to be great. Yeah. So the brand look of the packaging to me is 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 so on point too. Uh, not just the the creative design, but the shape of the packaging itself, and just the different uh, the different um, techniques that you used in in the production. So tell me a little bit about the development process of the packaging. So I think the first thing to know is that our cheesemaker and his team have been making world-class cheese almost from the day we opened Lake Country Dairy. So when we thought about packaging, our task was to develop something that lived up to the product that's inside. So what did we do? The first thing is we chose a dark charcoal gray background for uh, color for the background. So you'd know you were brought, buying a premium world-class product. Those dark colors really convey a sense of premium, of craftsmanship, and, and we knew that we needed that for, for cello. The next thing we do is we use bright colors to differentiate the varieties because you want to make sure that it's shoppable. We want people to find the product that they want at shelf. Um, and then the second, the third thing, rather, is we use metalized lettering on our signature copper kettle cheese to stand out. And the copper kettle bears a little bit of explanation. So, if you go back to cheese making within Italy, um, Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, which is referred to as the king of cheeses, believe it or not, is made in a copper kettle because it imparts a particular taste and a particular hue to the cheese. We're the only business in the United States making commercial quantities of Italian-style cheese out of a copper kettle. And that's why our copper kettle cheese variety is distinctive because of the way we make it, in addition to the quality of the milk we source and the, the cultures, which is basically the recipe for the cheese that our, our master cheesemaker uses. So we use metalized on top of that charcoal gray background to help it really stand out and let people know there is something very special inside that package. Yeah, and when you look at the package, you, you get that feeling. And, and it gives you the opportunity then to, to tell that story. And I think the shape, you know, the shape, like you said, it, it in branding, that can be such an ownable asset for, for a company that people immediately recognize that package as, as being distinctly yours. I mean, I, you, know, you know, over the history of brands, you can look at brands that have developed, you know, unique and distinctive packaging, and they have owned that, whether it's a shape or, or whatever it was or something new that's out there, and then they own it. You know, until everybody else comes along and tries to tries to copy it, but you own own that piece. I remember when when we launched uh, Sabra Hummus, you know, year you know ten ten or so years ago. Their packaging was the only one in the market that had that shape and had the open top, you know, where the clear top where you could look in and see the product and see the garnish, and 
it, it worked so well, and it was an ownable piece for them. So, I mean, I think that this, that when you look at this, this, this packaging, you can tell that there's something special about it, and I think it really gives you the license then to to take that story to to the next level with consumers. You're absolutely right, and and that's why when we came to the cup, we did not want to use and the, the cup. I mean, obviously the the the, the vessel for shredded, grated, and shaved cheeses. We didn't want to use the same old cup uh, that everyone else does. I mean, that cup is used to hold everything from cheese to soup to Chinese takeout. Um, And we wanted something that spoke to the care that we put in every single wheel. So we tinted every single one of our cups a copper uh, color because cello is the home of copper kettle cheese. And then we created that unique shape that's ergonomic because it has both a round and a flat side. It's easier to hold than just a big round cup. And it also, we, it also has options for the retailer. So one to keep in mind where you're going to find it. Um, it can be displayed in three different ways that give you three different perspectives on the package. So we've given the retailer a lot of options to make their case beautiful because, I mean, let's face it, they, you know, we all know that we're attracted to beauty and retailers want their, their shelves and displays to look good. And we want to help them do that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about, about the consumers of, of cheese. We worked... Uh, we worked with with Alouette Cheese um, several years ago, and and worked with them on on a number of their brands, from you know some of their commodity products up into their very high end products. And I know one of the things that they always struggled with was educating consumers on on cheese, and and really um, getting consumers to to know what cheese was and how to pair it and all of that. All of those things. So, tell me, tell me a little bit about about your consumer and who your ideal consumer is, and how you know not only how do you get consumers that are currently buying this type of cheese to to buy it, but how do you how do you get outside of that universe and bring new people into the space that that want to experience it, but maybe don't necessarily know the ins and outs. Yeah. Well. Our ideal consumer, obviously, Jamie, anyone listening to this podcast is a consumer, so I have to ask everyone to go out and buy uh, cello cheese. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me a little little plug. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Beyond that, we're hoping that the same cheese lovers that we talked to at the outset are the people who are going to see the care that we put into the packaging and product and fall in love like I have for this product. Um, So, I, I mean, it really is people who love cheese and who have a a culinary mindset who are creatively minded. Those are the people that we're, we're going after and, we th- after, and we think they're a pretty large group of people. I mean, I, we, you know, we obviously have done our homework analytically on the market sizing and demographics. Um, but the key thing to understand is these are people who really love cheese, seek new experiences because they're creatively minded. Now, the way that we're going to go out and talk to them is obviously getting shelf placement is the most important thing. Uh, because as you as you've you've noted, and thank you for that, we've put a lot of energy into making sure our packaging does a good communication job, lets people know what we're about and why they should um, that why they should uh, bring cello into their home. And beyond that, we'll do both in store and out of store tactics uh, to tell the story of cello. And of course, uh, we will do it with music whenever we can, both because it's the universal language of creativity but also because that helps continue to drive distinctiveness around cello uh, because that's a, that's a positioning that we have by virtue of our name and can really leverage to tell the story of the brand.
you know, growing your franchise of consumers is 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 challenging because it's not, you know, I often use use the example. It's not like you know you're selling potato chips or pretzels here where everybody's buying those and you just want to get them to buy your brand. In a lot of cases, with a product like this or a brand like Cello, consumers aren't not not the majority of consumers are buying it, but almost every consumer could enjoy this product. And depending on how you know how you reach them or even how they experience the product like they might go go to a party with friends and 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 try it and experience there and say wow you know that was great where can i buy that and they might never have been a consumer of yours in the past so you know my mindset is always trying to look at okay you know how do we grow the brand franchise by multiplication you know and bringing more people into that and i know that can be a challenge with 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 brands and products, products like yours. And, you know, Jamie, you're absolutely right. Bringing more people, obviously getting more households to buy a product is key. One of there are two ways you can do that. The first way is to get literally more people. But the second way is something that we're also doing with the cello launch, which is trying to go and grab an eating occasion that may not be typical within the, within the category you're playing. So for us, we've done that by taking our copper kettle cheese and creating a snacking item called chisels. And this is basically bite-sized pieces of, of cheese, similar to what you would literally chisel off of a wheel of cheese and put it into a cup so it becomes very snackable. By bringing a really core snacking occasion into, into a category that doesn't have a lot of options, you've accessed a, a huge well of growth that doesn't exist in, in more uh, in slower moving categories in grocery store. And I know you have deep expertise in snacking, so you know if you if you're successful in doing that, you're going to get a growth rate that's two to three times as fast as what non-snacking categories are going to enjoy. Um, so that's another way that you can really get this out in front of people and, and get people to uh, cheese lovers to try the product and fall in love. Yeah, and now you've taken it beyond, you know, people who, who who might be using it for that sophisticated occasion down to every day. And not just every day, I might take it for a snack, I might take it to work, but but kids, kids as well. Absolutely. Now, maybe we don't have to give the kids, you know, those, you know, that that crappy easy stringy cheesy, you can give them give them something like this and it creates a better opportunity to to tap into a whole whole new market. Yeah, that's cool. No question. Cool idea. No question. How about, let's talk a little bit about distribution because we know that's always a challenge for brands and especially when you have a new, you know, a new product like this when you're launching it. How did you drive distribution? How did you find success with it? And I know, it, I know it's an ongoing, it's never, it's never a, hey, we're done, satisfied with distribution. It's an ongoing thing. But what, what were some of your strategies in, in, in driving that? Yeah. Well, you, you know, Jamie, it's, it's persistence. You just got to keep at it. Um, but let me let me peel that back a little bit. I'd say there's there's two big things that are helpful as you begin to drive distribution. The first is to understand that not all retailers are created equal for your brand. Uh, you may need to segment retailers the same way you segmented markets to ask who might be the most interested in your product. Um, so that's work that you have to do and you have to understand um, where the retailer is coming from, just like you understand who your consumer is. The second thing is when you when you have the right set of retailers that you're going to approach with your product, is to really go in with a category mindset. Um, and you know you had a great podcast with Jeff Martin where he talked about this. A retailer doesn't need another brand. 
except that it grows their category. So we need to come in and show why is it that cello is going to be a good thing for you to add to your category. And I've already shared one example, which is by coming with a great snacking item, you have the ability to tap a, um, a vein of growth that may not be strongly present in the category. That's one piece. And the second is we're telling a really high-quality premium story around the, the business um, and putting the packaging around it to attract people to the category. So we won't look like every other brand that's in that case, I believe. And because of that, we're going to help bring more people uh, to the category and grow that retailer's business. Now, that's the pitch. Obviously, the retailer has to buy it, and we have to come with the data and the evidence uh, to prove it. But I do think approaching them with a category story, understanding how you're going to help them grow their business, that's job one. You have to do that. Yeah, and then job two is moving it off the shelf. Absolutely. So, so what was that kind of that next pivotal point where you introduced this to consumers? Uh, what kind of tactics did you use as far as reaching consumers, communicating with them, letting them know, you know, the value of this brand and the, the differentiation of this brand and why they should do it? Did you use any types of, of incentives? Talk a little bit about, about your, you know, how you began to grow this, this brand with consumers. Well, we're at the beginning stage of our journey, so some of the things that we're going to go do is we're going to both uh, take this in an analog direction and in a digital uh, direction. So the digital direction is pretty simple. As we build distribution, um, we're going to use the great geotargeting tools that are available to make sure that the stores that carry Cello have uh, great advertising around it. Uh, again, we're going to leverage music as a, as a great mnemonic in a way to tell people the story of the brand. Uh, and we'll use all those tools on digital, especially in social media, as both a channel and as a connection point to let people know outside the store that the product is there and it's one that meets their needs. Inside the store, we'll take a more analog uh, focus where we want to we come into contact with people. And that's through things like Shelf Talk, its integration with retailer programs, as well as just straight-up sampling. Because if you try our, our product you can literally taste the difference between it and other cheeses. And we believe that'll be compelling for you both to buy it and then to go back home and share with your family and friends uh, that you've, you've made a great find inside of your, your local store. Yeah, I mean, look, I tell people this all the time. We're in the food business. Get people to taste your product. <laughs> if it's a great that's product, abs- they're going to love you're- it. You're 100% right. you got to – people tasting is believing in this business. Absolutely. But, you know, we're, we are in, in, in such a wonderful time for brands when it comes to being able to reach consumers. I mean, you mentioned some of the, the opportunities that are out there. But even I, – I talk to smaller brands all the time about, you know, getting on shelf, getting that distribution – and then geo-targeting, not just around the store, but, you know, geo-targeting via, via lifestyle and purchase patterns and things like that. And, and i got to think that that's, that's right up your alley with a brand like that. You can, you can connect with brands who, who are in that lifestyle of, of, of eating cheese. You can connect with them, you know, musically via, via Pandora, digitally targeted around the stores. There's so many ways that you can connect with consumers digitally on social media and music and all that. I mean, it's, it's a great era to live in. It's not like it was 25 years ago. Where no, you, that's you, right. You needed multi-millions of dollars to do it. You don't need it anymore. That's right. It's, you know, people are raising their hands, and so it's easy to find. 
the audience that would be interested in this product a lot easier than it was 20 years ago. No question. So I love the Cella brand. Uh, best of luck with that. I mean, it sounds like you got some super exciting things uh, going on with that brand, and I'll be I'll be definitely watching that. But what else? Tell us a little more about what what's new and exciting um, at Schumann Cheese or for you. What 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 do you've got coming up? And if there's proprietary stuff you can't mention, that's cool. But you know, I'd love to hear hear some of the other things that you have going on at the company. Yep. Well, I mean, I am focused on on cello right now, and I think there's a ton of opportunity with cello and beyond to think differently about the specialty cheese business. I think it's a category with really amazing uh, products that honestly uh, should be more known and more loved by people. So um, I'm really lucky to have the opportunity to launch a brand that I think can contribute to that mission around the category. And I'm looking forward to the next steps of the journey, which will include cello and other things uh, to try to broaden uh, passion and love for this category. Awesome. So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, one of the things I really appreciate uh, about you is is your thoughtful uh, insight that you have on things. So, let's just kind of talk a little bit about some things that are that are off Schumann, but are still in the in the in the food and beverage CPG world. So let's talk. Let's talk some shop. You know, who sure who who are some of your favorite food and beverage brands? Sure. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three brands um, that I really, I, I really love, and I, I think they're doing a great job. And they're all small brands. And I just, I, I want to say that's not because I don't love my friends and the and the big brands, but you guys have a big, big budget, so you can tell people <laughs> about what you're doing. Um, I'm going to focus on three, uh, three smaller brands. So the first is Bonza Pasta, uh, which I really love for a couple reasons. First, because they were on chickpea early. Uh, for several years ago, and they recognize it for its high-protein benefit. The product's also gluten-free, which is a consequence of obviously being chickpea-based, but they don't tout it as the main benefit. And I think that's a really uh, valuable insight that they there is a benefit there, a side benefit of gluten-free. It could be the hot kind of fad one to go on, but they went for the thing that was intrinsic to the product. It has high protein. They entered the mac and cheese category, and then they did the second thing that I'm really impressed with, which is if you go to the mac and cheese category, what color do you see? You see blue, because that's the market leader. Their their product is bright orange, which makes it distinctive and stand out immediately. Um, So I only know the brand as a consumer. I don't know their strategy, uh, but I think if they continue to focus on their chickpea benefit, uh, talk about plant-based protein, I think they have a really big space to play in, and I, I hope they're really successful. Agreed. I'm a big fan, big fan of the brand as well. So the second is Luvo Foods. Now, Luvo is in a, um, a, a cold-turned-hot market, literally. They're in the frozen food section, and they make really delicious food. Um, the first time I bought it and tried it, I was amazed at how good it tastes. They're supported by Derek Jeter and Russell Wilson, so they have both coasts going for them. But the thing that amazed me the most when I opened and tried Luvo the first time is what came out of the microwave actually looked like what's on the box. And what was on the, what was on the box was beautiful. So I just was really impressed with their commitment to deliver a complete experience. Because uh, you, know, you know how disappointing it is when you get a product and you see this beautiful picture and you open the, the product or you prepare it and it doesn't look anything like the, the, the box. It looks like one of those Instagram you know, what I had hoped for and what actually happened kind of post. Uh, but Luvo's done a great job of living up to the experience they promised. Again, um, big fan of the brand as well. Excellent. 
And then the third one is I have to give a shout out to my friends at Enjoy Life Foods who just continue to do great work on product, on packaging and marketing. I think that Enjoy Life has one of the strongest trust brands in the natural foods market, uh, which they have to have because they're making food for people who have food intolerances and, and often life-threatening allergies. And it's they're able to do it because of the personal commitment of pretty much everyone who works there. It doesn't hurt that their products taste great and they have a terrific innovation pipeline. So I just got to give kudos uh, to, my, to my former co-workers that enjoy life who just do great work every day. And you know what they, you know, what I hear time and time again about, about them is that they, they feel like a real brand. I mean, they're, they're real, I mean, from an ingredient perspective, and they just feel, you know, hate to use the overword authentic, but, you know, they, they, they are an authentic brand. And, and that, that resonates so well with, with modern-day consumers. Absolutely. I was so lucky to be, uh, to be a part of that group, uh, uh, Jamie, and it is true. They are a real brand, and, and people are very committed to the brand inside their organization. And and this and nowadays, if you try to fake that, consumers see right through it. You just can't you can't fake it till you make it these days. It just doesn't, no. it doesn't work. That's right. That's yeah. right. You have too many real contenders out there. Yep, agreed. They're they're a legit a legit brand. Next question: What's the hottest innovative product last year? Well, I, I'm gonna uh, do the time honored guest tradition of cheating your question by not picking a product. I'm gonna pick some trends. Uh, if that's okay. All right. Hey, All this right. is your part of the show. <laughs> so the first thing is, I guess at this point, if you're not adding CBD to whatever you make, you clearly are making a mistake based on based on Expo West and what we've seen out in the market. I'm stunned that there weren't more April Fool's jokes around uh, CBD versions of products than there were. Uh, I think the space is going to grow tremendously, um, but. I just caution people with any new more new newly born trend. There's going to be wreckage along the way, so you really have to choose wisely um, around this. It reminds me a little bit of the early days of gluten free. I sat down with a buyer um, who was asking us if we were labeling different products gluten free or if we had any gluten free, and uh, you know we had limited offerings at the time. And he looked at us and said, "Listen, if I could label my toilet papers gluten free, I'd do it." Because it'd sell more, <laughs> so I just think you got to be careful about where you're throwing CBD. But right now, people are not throwing uh, are throwing caution to the wind with CBD, uh, so it's clearly a huge trend. The second is I really do believe we're at a, the beginning of a revolution on packaging. I think the race is on to reduce and replace plastic in packaging. The straw backlash is just the start. And I think there's going to be really big rewards for brands who can figure out, um, and retailers who can figure out how to replace packaging with something that is much more environmentally friendly. And when the first few people figure it out, you're going to see the industry rush to do it. Um, and it's going to be harder for the second players to do it. Now, obviously, people who wait to be third and fourth are going to benefit from all that work, but it's going to be a trial um, as brands innovate in packaging, get to an eco-friendly place, and then market heavily against that uh, because people really care and they're gonna, we're, we're all going to care just more about that over time. Agreed. Agreed. And you see, you know, that whole minimalist idea, you know, when it comes to packaging, people are paying more and more attention to that on the consumer level. Absolutely. Who's killing it 
in social media from your perspective? I mean, you look at there's every first of all, everybody's out there, but not everybody is killing it. Most, most I, I I tell this to 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 com- companies all the time and people we work with that. That, that most people are not doing this and doing it well. Who, from your perspective, is just doing a great job on, on social media? Yeah, I think you have to define what great means. And that, that goes back to having a goal orientation on social media. And not all brands should have the same goals. So um, I would just really ask, uh, suggest to people that you think about what's your business goal before you try to sit down a social media strategy and then measure to see if you're killing it. But if you mean using social media to create a moment, and a lot of people, they're really just trying to create moments of uh, you know, spikes in interest. I think IHOP did a great job last year when it teased a burger introduction. I mean, it's a restaurant that makes pancakes and awesome. made news by making hamburgers. I mean, it doesn't, I, it's just not more basic products of that. And the fact that they got any play at all is a huge nod to their social media storytelling chops. They got so, incredible play on it. And and what was funny, too, is that that all the brands that chimed in, and one of the brands we represented was one of them, you know, our, our social media uh, person was just so quick that they just, you know, we do we do the Steakum brand. They just immediately changed their, uh, their, their, their icon to Cakeum instead of steak. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you if I could buy steak and pancake. Yeah, and, and, and the brands that just quick jumped on that, they were able to, you know, ride the, you know, ride the tailwind of that yes. and get picked up in the media. But you're right, that that was an awesome, awesome moment for IHOP. Yeah, and you know, of course, the the king of creating a moment um, last year would have been Nike with Colin Kaepernick. Yep. I mean, they're they just exploded, um, uh, and it was a risky and bold choice for them. So, you know, kudos to their their group. Now, on the other hand, if you mean creating sustaining interest on social media, uh, I think there's also lots of examples. And I'll give you three. I mean, Wendy's is one to watch for restaurants. Everyone, I'm sure everybody who works in the restaurant industry that's not Wendy's just dreads the question of why can't we be more like Wendy's or why can't I get a Wendy's level of engagement or, you know, uh, look at what Wendy's is doing. It's got to be got to be tough for, for everyone else. But they've They've really done a great job. I think Halo Top has a very committed group of, of uh, people. And, um, you know, I think Lego is probably one that's tops with a rabid fan base um, who both shares and creates content uh, that the, the social media folks at Lego do a great job of repopulating on their sites. Yeah. You know, getting getting back to Wendy's, you know, I, I agree. They are just they have just been on the cutting edge of this stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I love about Wendy's is that they were one of the, the the early brands to recognize the fact that you don't you cannot be consistent across the various social media platforms because they're different types of people. Their persona on Twitter is radically different than than what you see on their on their mainstream marketing. It's just a completely different different persona because they know who they're talking to on Twitter and they know that they can kind of stir the pot quicker, they can be snarkier, they can be more in their in their face and they they have really been one of the brands that have really grasped that idea and 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 we're early adapters of okay, we have to if we're going to be here, we got to be here in a big way and if we're going to be here in a big way, we have to adapt to the various platforms that we're out there. So that's a great, great example, Jim. Yeah. And I think you're making a terrific point, Jamie. It, it really goes back to a very basic uh, a fundamental of marketing, which is 
you got to understand who you're talking to. And you're right. The audiences are not the same across every platform. And people don't go to every platform for exactly the same reason. So if you, if you can keep that in your mind while you're going out and constructing your persona for these different platforms, I think you'll have a lot more success than just saying, I want to be X on social media as if it's, you're showing up exactly the same place at the same time everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, Jim, it's been, it's been a great show. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, any, any last words? Jamie, I, I really appreciate the time. It was great fun to talk to you today. You know, last words are always tricky. I hope that everyone found at least one word in the time we spent together that was a good takeaway. And I just want to invite everyone uh, listening, if you want to hit me up on LinkedIn to chat, I'm always up for a good conversation. And I mean, after all, Jamie, that's how you and I met. So uh, it's a great a great way to make those those uh, connections. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure people picked up on more than just one thing. It's been been a great show. So um, thanks everyone for tuning into the show. I uh, hope you found value in what you heard today. Uh, please subscribe to the Pepper Podcast on iTunes and give us that five star rating. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on today's show or any other show. I can be reached at Jamie, that's J-A-M-I-E, at alabach.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time. You've been listening to Jamie Alabach on the Peppered Podcast, where we bring seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. Let's grow your brand together.